I like to begin Dharma talks by taking refuge. You're welcome to uh, take refuge with me. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. And I take refuge in Sangha. So this week in the Zen community of Oregon, we're beginning a uh, practice period, which we refer to as Ango, a period of, you, you could say intensified practice. I like to say like more support for a uh, focused practice because we do this um, as community. So it, it can make a really big difference um, to on your own say, I'm going to sit five minutes more every every day or I'm going to attend a retreat and then you have to kind of like look around and find the supports Um, but during Ango we like kind of all as a community like create the supports for each other Uh, so there's you know more retreats that you can attend if that's um, what you're interested in doing supports for daily practice study we're all like working with the same theme which will be around the paramitas and I wanted to talk Uh, today just a little bit about spiritual practice, which of course we're always talking about, Um, but the kind of spiritual practice that uh, transforms you. That's part of the spirit of Ango is when we intensify or we center practice in our lives, um, we're we're creating the conditions for uh, transformation. We're creating the conditions to connect with uh, maybe a deeper question or, or connect with our spiritual longing or can connect with the ability to ask or listen to our innermost uh, spiritual questions or connecting with that you know, desire in us, that resolve in us that propels us uh, to continue on a path of liberation, a path of healing, a path of awakening. So I want to start by by telling a story. Uh, I want to tell the story of the Buddha's awakening. And for those of you who are familiar with uh, the Zen tradition, uh, stories in Zen are uh, often stories of, of awakening. And they're meant to be Uh, taken up as, you could say, a koan, as a way of uh, engaging with the story, the vignette, uh, the pith of of the story, uh, as as if it pertained to us, as if it were speaking to some aspect of us and our own uh, spiritual journey, our own spiritual aspirations, our own awakening. So this uh, koan, this story, is from the Denku Roku, case one. It's called Shakyamuni Buddha's Awakening. And it goes like this. While sitting under the Bodhi tree, Shakyamuni Buddha saw the morning star and was enlightened. Upon seeing the morning star, they said, I, together with all beings and the great earth, awaken." So this is a story that has been told over centuries and centuries. A story that contains within it, one might say, the entire spiritual path. 
and a story we're invited into as and practitioners. Yes, this story is about us. So perhaps you can sense your own spiritual longing in the image of the Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree. The very image of Buddha, awakened one, that's what Buddha translates as, invokes the spiritual path or invokes the the Dharma path. Here the Buddha sits with utter determination and faith. For they've made this vow, they've resolved in their heart that they will not move until they realize the way. So you could ask yourself if this is a story about us, what brought us to this point to make such a declaration, to have such faith? And perhaps we invoke this kind of faith, this kind of determination, this kind of resolve anytime we sit down, anytime we take a moment and open to presence, open our awareness, meet our experience with compassion. And we can also say, well, well, where am I committed? Where have I made such kind of commitment? And perhaps it's a marriage or a commitment to a child or a cause or your career or some, something else, your spiritual life. There's this inner sense of, I will not leave. I will stay with this. I will keep processing what comes up, turning over the compost, painting gold in the broken cracks. I will see this through. This person, the Buddha, you could say in this story, is someone who listened to their mystical longing, their spiritual longing. And this is hard to do. Because for, for many of us, it's uncomfortable. And in modern society, we have so many distractions. And our minds have so many excuses. So spiritual longing may arise or we may, we may feel a sense of it. And we can read our horoscope on an astrology app or we can listen to a great Dharma talk or browse. We're just informed that there's a website called spiritualteachers.com so we could look for a new teacher, the newest guru. Or we can eat a piece of cake or take a shower. To follow one's longing or even to listen to one's longing can be uncomfortable. It can also be deeply inconvenient or painful, painful to feel this, this desire 
this wanting, this longing for dot, 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 completion, wholeness, to love fully, to live compassion moment to moment, to be, to really have that kind of alignment and integrity to be that person that you know you are. We sense that to listen to such a longing can be destructive because mystical longing asks something from us. And just as we see this image of the Buddha under the Bodhi tree, like to get to that point, to have that resolve, it takes sacrifice, surrender, letting go, giving up things. We have a word for this in the Buddhist tradition. It's renunciation. And it's an unpopular word, at least in, in this culture. But I think it's always been unpopular. There have always been less renunciates in the world than people looking for success. So maybe, you know, a cultural meme is We want to have our awakening and our Netflix and our 60-hour-a-week job and our travel and our deep, meaningful relationships and, and, and. Or maybe we just don't want to feel the discomfort of longing that for many of us feels more like an empty hole. What could paying attention to that be good for. And to do spiritual practice in a way that leads to liberation involves sacrifice. And I would say wise sacrifice, and I want to emphasize the wise here. We need to dedicate time and energy to the practices, the teachings, the path. Dharma practice has the power to reverse the flow of habit energy and the transformation can be seismic for the very foundation that we have constructed and built our lives upon is seen through. And in order to create the conditions for this kind of shift in view to happen and be sustained, we must prepare our bodies, hearts, and minds through stabilization and you could say purification practices concentration and heart practices and especially after any shifts occur we must continue practicing stabilizing and integrating these insights there's a Dharma teacher in the Tibetan Dzogchen tradition who said something to the extent of Buddhahood is inherent in us. Yet if we do not practice and stabilize our awakening, we are like babies on a battlefield, sure to be overtaken by the power of our habitual thoughts and beliefs. Buddhahood is inherent in us. And yet, if we do not practice and realize this and then stabilize our awakening, we are like babies on the battlefield, 
sure to be overtaken by the power of our habitual thoughts and beliefs. So for many of us, the thinking process, this thinking process that we have in our minds, uh, has this all or nothing quality. So you may have been hearing the words that I was just saying in the last few paragraphs and have this sense of, yeah, if I really listened to my spiritual longing, I would move to the monastery or to Japan or to India. I would find a spiritual teacher. I would give up all of my possessions. I would enter a retreat full time. I would commit myself to sit every day. And if I like can't do that, then you know what's the point? And so like we can get into that all or nothing thinking. And there's something, you know, there's something about that. It's compelling to be an all or nothing thinking. <laughs> Cuz like if we're on one end of a polarity, we know where we are. So we can say I'm succeeding, I'm feeling, I'm failing. Like I did it. I gave up everything. I truly did renunciation. I saw that through. Or I, I just can't do it. I'm not even going to entertain that idea because it just doesn't fit into my lifestyle. But to be somewhere in the middle is, is more confusing, but is more juicy. I mean, that's where we live. We never live like, totally in the extremes all the time. We may have moments <laughs> in the extreme or the inner critic can say, oh, yes, you are always failing. But the inner critic is one of those all or nothing kind of thinking processes. But most of the time we're in the middle. And the middle is more confusing and, and a lot is happening. And it's sometimes hard to see what's happening because it's not as extreme. Because we can't say, oh, I've successfully completed the entire path of awakening or I'm just a beginner, I'm a failure. We're somewhere in the middle. And middles are uncomfortable, they're harder to define, they're harder to stake out an identity. On the spiritual path, the middle can be a murky place. Sometimes our idea of where we're at, our idea of completion obscures us from being able to be right where we are, right in the middle of our lives, right in the middle of this awkward feeling, uncomfortable spiritual longing that we can't just give up everything to attempt to, to fulfill, which I imagine it still wouldn't go away. <laughs> because that, that longing is part of the spiritual path. It can give our practice uh, juice, life. So how do we continue to nourish the fire of our practice when it's not so fiery? Or when it's in a murky middle place? What does it look like to sit in the middle of our longing? A quote by Okumalafe, he talks about middles and says, in a sense, we are always in the middle. 
In a sense, we are always in the middle, in the thickness of many intra-acting agencies, on a pilgrimage that troubles the convenience of starting lines and final destinations. The middle is dynamic, alive, the place of togetherness and blurring of boundaries, where you are neither succeeding or failing, totally right or totally wrong. So what does practice look like in the middle of this life, this life, your life? in the middle of whatever commitments you already have, in the middle of your householder responsibilities, your jobs, your relationships? How do we allow ourselves to exist in the in-between, to feel the depths of our longing for awakening, completion, wholeness, and to let that longing awaken in us a commitment to deepen our insight, to love more completely, to dedicate more of ourselves to this path. For true renunciation is letting go or seeing through the habit of selfing. We can build a self around the renunciate or the good student or the one who gave up all their possessions and moved to India or China or Japan. But true renunciation is more of a letting go or a seeing through of the habit of selfing. We could do that anywhere. And selfing, you know, that pernicious and painful self-referencing that we do. Ever notice when something tragic or beautiful happens to a loved one or someone in our lives, often our first response is, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? How is this going to make me look? I'll never be as good as them. No one recognizes me. And so true renunciation is learning to see through or let go of that habit or let go of that habit in the sense of not pushing it away or trying to get rid of it or like excising it out of us but letting go of that habit letting go of the control that it may have on our lives this constant you need to center ourselves a liberation in the Buddha sense, awakens in us such a deep sense of security, that compassion, appreciative joy, loving kindness, equanimity are our go-to responses, where love leads. So this ango, we will be exploring the practices of the six paramitas, which is sometimes translated as the six perfections six ways of clarifying the heart-mind, six qualities of awakened activity. And we'll spend, like, for those of you who've been present when we've gone through, like, precepts, this is similar. We'll spend a week with each of the paramitas, 
So a week with generosity and then a week with discipline, sila, also translates as precept practice, uh, a week with patience, a week with enthusiastic perseverance or joyful effort, a week with meditation, and a week with wisdom. Ongo is an opportunity to deepen practice with the support of the community. It's not necessarily about doing more, but an opportunity to clarify our vows, to connect with um, our deep intentions for spiritual practice, perhaps to shed some light on habit patterns or beliefs that hold us back from living more authentically, living more holy, like whole, (laughs) not uh, whole. (laughs) So some questions, yeah, let's invite just a a little reflection around ongoing commitment, whether you're participating formally in this ongoing or not, can still use this time to clarify intentions so just you know letting yourself listen to what comes forward as I ask these questions what what is your intention for your spiritual practice now in this in this moment you could say for the last quarter of the year because Ango is like really It starts now, it ends in December, right before the holidays. What is your intention for practice? What inspires your practice? What nourishes your practice? Are you in touch with your spiritual longing or mystical longing? And what would it be like to honor that part of you in some way during the next couple months? Have you been curious to try retreat practice? Would the next couple of months be a time that you can do that? Or is this a time to plan for a retreat in the next, in the upcoming year? Is there a behavior, a habit, a belief that you would like to work on letting go of or shifting or taking a break from? Sometimes during Ango at the monastery, people would make commitments like to not use their cell phones during the evening break or during the day off. But also to notice and work with, bring more attention to, shed the light on habits of dissatisfaction or reactivity or complaining or comparison whatever habits you notice that kind of tug at your heart or part of that that self-referencing that causes pain to yourself or to others. 
And what might support you in shifting a belief or a habit or behavior if that is something that you want to focus on what supports do you have in your life or can you bring in during this ongo period and are you interested in deepening your practice and what does that mean to you? Maybe first feeling into the energy behind that. What would deepening your practice like feel like? Do you have some impression of what that might feel like? And then what supports maybe do you want to try or even commit to that would help you in deepening your practice? Maybe daily meditation or weekly meditation, maybe attending retreat or doing study or service or devotional practice or, or creative practices or body practices. There's so many ways to deepen our practice. To make a commitment is to remind ourselves of our vows and you could say to center our spiritual lives, to practice in the middle of it all. And of course, in part of making a commitment is recognizing that we will forget and we will break our commitments unintentionally, maybe, maybe sometimes intentionally. Like, I just do not want to get up for morning zazen. And that part of me is not going to let go <laughs> in this moment. Or we lose track. We just lose track. Things get busy happens and that's part of the like great thing about being in community and being in community during ongo is there's reminders and that's part of monastic practice is there's reminders like there's like this sign at the monastery right above the intersecting hallways that says i think i think it says are you aware i might say something to that extent and and you know there's there's just so many reminders at the monastery and so we like in lay life in our in our daily life practice we need to create those reminders for ourselves and that's part of ongo is like the whole community is helping each other create these reminders so if you come to monday night or tuesday night or sunday night or wednesday night or thursday night or friday night you know people are or sunday morning people are reminding us oh yeah it's ongo oh yeah i have commitments Oh yeah, I can renew my commitment. I can start again, start anew. Thich Nhat Hanh, around precept practice, had a, a ceremony called Beginning Anew. And they would do that at the monastery like every week or every uh, new moon and full moon. So it's not like, you know, even monastics have to remember. <laughs> so we need to remember too. 
And it's not like you failed and on goes over the second week because you forgot your commitment. It's just an opportunity to renew, to begin anew. And that's, you know, that's meditation practice, right? We sit down to meditate. We forget we're meditating. We start thinking about something else, planning, spiraling. And then we remember we're meditating and we have the opportunity to come back renew our intention the same thing so thank you everyone for just doing that reflection um i'd like to make space and first let's say for any just questions thoughts reflections and then we'll shift into Um, if anybody would like to share any of the commitments that are coming up for them that you'd like to share about, you know, how you're going to practice Ango can be powerful to be witnessed by others uh, in our commitments. So let's say first, um, does anyone have any just questions, thoughts, reflections? 